In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's from the Gospel of Matthew. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Command that these two sons of mine sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the chalice that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are. He said to them, You will drink my chalice, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever should be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, we pray tonight in this final talk that you might open the hearts of your faithful here present to really help them to be all in, to really take you at your word, to really be about the life-saving business no matter what it costs them in their personal lives, in their earthly lives, and especially in their spiritual lives. May we do the will of your Father whatever it costs. We ask this through the intercession of our mother who so perfectly obeyed your almighty will as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Mother of God, pray for us sinners at the hour of our death, amen. Saint Joseph. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Amen. It's good to see so many people. Um, you know, I had no idea what I was getting into when I finally said yes to the priesthood. I really, really didn't. I had no idea the joys, the sorrows, the glory, the pain that I would encounter. They don't really tell you that. And if they, maybe they do, and if they, was, they did, I wasn't paying attention. But I was really, literally getting into the life-saving business. And I think that, you know, we sit back and we say, you know, the priests, they're all about the life-saving business, you know? All the baptized are about the life-saving business. It's not just my job. It's all of our jobs. To really go out and save lives. I think I mentioned this at a homily a couple years ago, but there was a there was a group a couple hundred years ago, and they were called the Humane Society. And they aren't the Humane Society of today. Right? They don't have dogs with Silent Night. <clears throat> they were legit. They were a powerhouse group of volunteers. What had happened is around the Nantucket area that ships would come in on the coast, and it, it was shallow there, and the ships would run aground. And it happened so often, and so many people died 
that the people of Nantucket Island got together and said, you know what, <clears throat> we're going to put together a volunteer group. And they set up these things called huts of refuge. And about every mile was a hut of refuge along the coast. And these were manned 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And they were lookouts. And they were rescuers. So when a ship ran aground, they got into their boats and went out to save as many as they could and bring them back to the island. What struck me was their motto, which is, when I heard this story several years ago, it stuck with me ever since. And their motto is this, you have to go out. You need not come back. What does that mean? That means when you see a ship go down, you have to go out there. You might die, but there is no choice. As soon as you see it, you go. And they did go. And they died. Keep in mind, these were volunteers that were in the life-saving business. And you guys, this is our call. In the fallen world that we live in, broken homes, with the mess in the workplace, on playing fields, at parties, college campuses, everywhere. The world needs people to step up. And you're not going to get paid for it. You're not going to make any money. You're not going to get any earthly glory. What you are going to do is build up treasure in heaven. What the world needs is saints. We have to go out. Jesus sends us out. And if it costs us our lives, so be it. Our physical lives, maybe. But maybe more importantly, our social lives, our lives at work. How often do you and I back away from speaking the truth because of what others might think? How often do you and I set aside our baptismal promise just to be accepted? How often do you and I fail to lay down our lives for God because we deem something else more worthy of our time? My friends, it is time that we get back to the life-saving business. And here's the deal. You might not save anyone, but you gotta try. I had a spiritual director in, in seminary, and he said, he said, you young priests, you think you're gonna convert the world. Good desire, but it's probably not gonna happen. He said, if you can convert, and really convert, one person in your life, you have done a great deal. Just imagine right now if everybody in this church converted one person. Imagine if everybody in our parish converted one person. And then each of those people, because they were so in and so in love with Jesus, they converted one person. That's our call. We've been anointed to baptize all nations. Jesus himself said it, as I said last uh, two nights ago. I came to set the world on fire, and how wish I was already ablaze. You want to know something about the, that's interesting about the Humane Society? Their job of life-saving, they eventually partnered with the Coast Guard. And then the Coast Guard basically took it over. And the Humane Society was set, set aside saving lives. And then they changed their entire mentality. And the mentality 
changed to something like this. Risking my life to save other people? That's someone else's job. Let's leave that to the professionals, those who are being paid for it, those who are trained for it, and they stop saving lives. And here's the real kicker. The Humane Society still exists today in the Northeast by Massachusetts. There's still a group of people who are descendants of the lifesavers, and they still get together a couple times a year. They have dinners, drink good wine, have auctions, fundraisers. I'm sure they're a good group of people, but you know what they don't do anymore? Save lives. They were founded to save lives, and they don't do it anymore. Does that sound familiar? Is our faith, is our Catholic Church about transforming this world, saving lives, offering up sacrifice to the Father, baptizing all nations, speaking a word of hope and truth to people who are suffering, opening their eyes, being a light? Or have we just given all that up? What will renew the culture and, stop and start producing disciples is our witness, our effort, our growth in virtue, our holiness, our relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't complain about the state of affairs in our country. Do something about it. Go all in. Sacrifice everything. Give it all. The life of the Christian is an incredible life, but it's incredible not because of like all the cool things we get to do. It's incredible because what Jesus is able to do in somebody that totally surrenders to him. That says, Lord, you're in charge of my life. I'm not doing anything without you ever again. You know, I think that was St. Augustine. He said, love God and then do whatever you want. And he's right, because if you truly love God, you're never going to offend him. And so you're free. When I was, a, when I was first ordained, <clears throat> I had a lot of crazy experiences in seminary and basically ever since I really gave the Lord a chance. And I would just remember, like, how amazed I was at what Jesus can do in, in your life. And I remember when I laid down prostrate on the marble in the cathedral, I had several priests, very holy priests, that said to me, make sure you ask for one grace in that moment. It's a very holy moment. It's a very anointed moment. Ask for a grace for your entire priesthood. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. I didn't know what to ask for. That's heavy, man. You get one shot, you know, don't, don't screw it up. Don't ask for the wrong grace. And so at one point I was like, you know what, I'm just, whatever comes. And so I'm laying prostrate on the marble, sobbing, as I'm thinking about what I'm doing and about what Jesus is going to do to me. And I simply, the words that came out as I said, Lord, never stop amazing me. And I heard back so clearly, not audibly, clearly in my heart, he said to me, then never stop coming to me. You don't stop coming to me, and I will never cease to amaze you. And I have stayed true to that promise to this day. I have never stopped praying, not for a single day. And he still amazes me 
There is seriously, and I know I say this a lot, and I don't think people really take me at my word. There seriously is no more exciting life than a life lived in union with Jesus Christ. Because he's always working. He's always speaking. He lives in each one of us. Every moment is an experience with him. Every time you meet, every time I I encounter a person, I actually get to encounter Christ. If I believe that. Do you and I believe that? That every encounter in our life can be an encounter with Jesus Christ. Do you wake up in the morning and offer your day to God, asking him for the full awareness of seeing him in every aspect of your day? Is that the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Or is it like, dang it, it's too early. I don't want to get up. The first moment... If we live in relationship with him, seeking him in everything, asking to see him, to know him, to experience him, in the greatest experiences and in the worst, he is always coming to us. But I think the problem is is that most of us are not aware of what's going on around us. You know, there, there are different ways that you can view the world, worldviews. You can have a political worldview in which everything you see is all about politics and all about governments and all about, and that's how you view the world. That's how the world functions. That's That's what you watch the news for. You might have an economic view of the world and it's all about money and it's all about how much you're making, your 401k and the stock market and, and do I have enough to buy this and am I secure and that's another way to view the world. There is also, and nobody practices this anymore, the ancient Jewish people lived by this is the theological way of viewing the world. That God is always working. And that no matter what happens, he is getting his way. I just don't know many people that live on that plane. They just don't. The the prophet Jeremiah says this. This is God speaking to us through his prophets. I know well the plans I have in mind for you. Plans for your welfare and not for your woe. Plans to give you a future full of hope when you can call me, when you can go to pray to me, and I will listen to you. And when you look for me, you will find me. Yes, when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me, says the Lord, and I will change your life. But do we seek him with all of our heart? Remember the Beatitude? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. You know, the other translation is that, blessed are those with an an undivided heart. An undivided heart. But I think so many, we, we get so caught up in the world. We spend time on our phones, on social media, TV, video games, movies, entertainment. And what good is coming from that? Suicides are on the rise. Depression and anxiety are on the rise. Cutting, self-hatred, drug abuse, pornography. Marriages don't last. And yet we keep going back to this garbage, knowing it will never make us happy. It's madness. It's sheer insanity. And yet many won't change. I know I've quoted this before, but it's fabulous. The Dalai Lama was asked what surprised him most in this life. This was his answer humans because they sacrifice their health in order to make money then they sacrifice their money their money to recuperate their health 
They are so anxious about the future that they don't live in the present. The result being, they do not live in the present or the future. They live as if they're never going to die and then die having never really lived. If that isn't first world America right now, I don't know what is. All the world is a distraction that the enemy is giving to keep us out of the battle, to get us out of the fight. Because he knows if we get focused on Christ, the fight will, will stem the tide like that. But we don't trust Christ. We put our faith in the world. One of my favorite quotes, C.S. Lewis, he said, when I die, all of hell will rejoice because I'm out of the fight. Wouldn't that be great to be able to say that? When I die, hell is going to rejoice, saying, the devil's going to say, thank God that son of a buck is out. I was so sick of him or her ruining everything I tried to do. He can have his eternal reward. The book of wisdom, listen to this. For the witchery of trivial things obscures what is right, and fleeting desires transform the innocent mind. And so we are tossed about in the waves of the world, drowning. Remember when Jesus says, those who build on rock, the storms came, the floods, the winds buffeted the house, but the house did not collapse because it set solidly on rock. But those who build on sand, sand is shifty. It moves. It doesn't have a solid base. That house can't stand. It collapses immediately. And he says, and what a ruin it was. I experienced the reality of this. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I experienced the reality of this needing grounding. We need grounding. We need objective, something physical in our lives. When I was in Mexico and, and I was... I attempted to surf. North Dakota boy. Geographically as far away from an ocean as you could get his entire life decides to surf. And not only did we decide to surf, we decided to surf in Puerto Escondido, which is one of the top 10 surf beaches in the world. 10 to 15 foot walls. Taller than Joseph. Never surfed before. And we thought, we can do it. And we paddled out, and it took us 45 minutes just to get past the break. That should have told us something right there. There were no other surfers out. That should have told us something also. There was a red flag on the beach waving wildly in the wind. That should have told us something as well. And yet we decided to paddle out. When I got out there, I was so freaked out. You guys, I have never experienced waves like that in my life. And we were beyond the break, so literally you would go up, and you'd say, hey, there's the beach. And then you'd go down and you'd say, there's no more beach. And then you'd come up and you're like, hey, there's the beach again. <laughs> you start to realize the size of these swells. And my buddy and I, we said, well, we're here, we got to do it. Because we were morons. And so a big roller's coming in and we start paddling, paddling. Jump up. And I remember... Because I ride regular and he rides goofy. So we were facing each other. And we jumped up and got on our boards. We looked down 20 feet. And then we looked at each other and just white. I mean, 
just sheer terror on our face. Didn't drop into the wave, we just dropped. Fell straight down. All the way, belly flop onto the ocean. And then, see, this is what you don't think about. This all, what happened next is within the next 30 seconds, but it felt like eternity. You don't think, when you hit, you're like, ow! You know, that really hurt. I'm glad that's over. It's not over. There's a 20-foot wall of water that's about to fall on you. And when it falls, it hits you and drives you right into the ocean floor. Ripped open my chest. And this, you know, this is the funny thing about, this is... I'm a weird person, but so when that happens, boom, it rips off my chest. I'm bleeding. I can feel the sting of the salt water in my, in my cuts. And the first thing I think of is sharks. I, I, sharks are the least of my concern right now. And as soon as I'm sitting there, like, I mean, I'm like dying in pain. If you don't know this about surfing, you tie the surfboard to your ankle. And so the wave may leave you pressed against the ocean floor, but it takes the board with it. And when the board goes, you go. And when I went, I'm telling you guys, I was so disoriented, I could not tell what was up, down, left, right, and it was just rolling. And I just, I was just somersaulting in the water. And I remember I was just kicking my legs. I'm looking for anything to put my feet onto. And I got to a point where I'm like, this is it. I'm going to die. I was like, I'm out of air. And if I don't, when I put my feet down, if I don't hit the ocean floor, I'm going to, I'm going to drown. And I kicked my legs out, hit rock, and jumped as fast as I could up to the surface, forgetting that my board is above me. And my face is, I'm, you know, ready for oxygen. And I hit the board with my face and my, if you ever hit your nose really hard, the amount of blood that can come out of the nose. So I inhale blood and salt water. I puke into the water. I grab the board. And I'm like, you know, thank God this is over. Boom! Second wave hits. And it all happens again. And again. And again. And I don't know how long this went on. I have never been, I am man enough to say that I was crying uncontrollably when I finally got to the ocean, to the beach. And I looked over, and my buddy Joe was laying on the beach. And you guys, I was convinced he was dead because I know what I had went through. And I was just like, Joe! And he's like, I'm okay. And we, like, held each other and cried. And I remember thinking, you know, later going back to that in my retreats, I had no, I had nothing to, to ground myself on. I was just being tossed about by the waves. And that's what the world does to us. It gives us no bearing, no point of reference. And at best, what do people base every argument on? Their feelings. Our feelings are as bad as waves. They change all the time. And so we're changing all the time. We have nothing to ground us. And this is what leads to despair. This is what leads to anxiety. This is what leads to depression. This is what is attacking America right now. 
We need something to stand on. You know, we all want the exciting life, but in order to really have it, you have, you have to build upon that rock. And that doesn't mean that you just... It's like your vacation home is on the rock. Your whole being has to be on the rock. Or you will just be tossed about in the waves of the world. So long as I'm in relationship with God and I'm building my house upon his law and his life and his love, then yes, the incredible life that I'm talking about, this life of excitement, this life of joy, this roller coaster of the spiritual life is available to us. Without that, we are in the waves of the world barely surviving. And I'm not, you guys, I'm not talking about like my travels to different countries and the places I've visited. I'm talking about my ministry. I'm talking about my encounters with people. I could have never have guessed what, the stuff that God was going to put into my life. I'll just give you a few examples of these. I was at the airport, and a lot of my priest friends don't wear their clerics, their blacks, when they fly because they don't want to be bothered. I'm like, you guys, we were ordained to be bothered. We were ordained to be interrupted. Although I got to tell you this one quick story, total ADD moment. But my, my buddy, Jay, he's a, he's a great, he's an East Coaster, so he's got that whole East Coast mentality. But he was a deacon, and he was flying home for Christmas break from Rome, and I passed him in the hallway, and he wasn't wearing his clerics. I'm like, dude, you just got ordained a deacon. You're not going to wear your clerics? And he's like, no, I don't want to wear my clerics. I want to enjoy the ride home. <laughs> and I was like, you're just getting started. Like, get out there. And, you know, I was like, just harass him, harass him. Finally, he puts his clerics on and flies home, whatever. I see him a week or two later, and we're coming down the same hallway. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, Jay. I was like, how was the trip? He grabs me and throws me into a wall. And I'm like, whoa, buddy, what's going on? He's like, you know who I sat between on the way home? And I'm like, who's that? He's like, a married lesbian couple. How do you think that was for eight hours? <laughs> la, 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 both sides. He's like, I couldn't get out of it because I had my cleric son. I was ministering to Jesus, you know? But, but we're ordained. We're, we're baptized to be interrupted. We're baptized to encounter people. You ever have those moments where, where you just feel like you're supposed to talk to somebody or you're supposed to go and say something to somebody or somebody's running their mouth about something and you feel like you should go in and try to evangelize them? So few do it. And I'm telling you, it's wild. And you're gonna, a lot of it's gonna be crazy and you're gonna be like, how did I get into this? But that's what makes for the excitement. That's really what makes for the excitement. I had this guy, was, I was, when I was traveling back to, the, that was a whole, <laughs> back to the original story of the airport. I was, <clears throat> I was in the airport, and this, I'm wearing my clerics, and this guy, you know, he's sitting there, and he's looking at me, and he keeps looking at me, and I'm like, I, gotta, I just feel like I got to talk to this guy. And so I just strike up a conversation. We're talking about his, he was at University of Mary for something, and big businessman, some, I don't know, Fortune 500 company guy, and uh, teaching some I don't know, 
thing out at University of Mary. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, and, you know, we're getting ready to go through, and he's like, hey, Father, he's like, can you pick up my bag and put it on the, on the conveyor belt? This dude is a big guy, and it's his little carry-on. And I'm like, sure. Pick it up and put it on. He's like, see, that's, that's why I like you guys. You didn't even ask. You just did it. Because that's what Christians do. They just do it. You know why I can't lift that up? Because I had back surgery. Doctor said I'm not supposed to lift anything. And I'm like, and I, and I kept talking to him, and, and we went through, you know, and we, were, we were chatting and everything, and he's like, he's like, you know, I, I said to him, I said, you know, we got on to sacramental life, and he's like, yeah, you know, I kind of go to church, I kind of don't. And I'm like, when's the last time you went to confession? <clears throat> he's like, oh, man, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. And I'm like, well, do you want to go? And he's like, Father, you don't, you, you don't have time. This is the classic answer from men, by the way. You don't have time to hear my confession. And I looked at him and I said, sir, I would miss my flight to hear your confession. And he's like, dang. <laughs> he's like, dang, you're a closer. He's like, I could have used you in my company. <laughs> and right there in the airport, 25 years of sin, gone. We got on our separate flights, never saw the guy again. One night I'm praying night prayer. I got my breviary out, and I'm like, you know what? I just, I just feel like I, I just feel this sense that I'm supposed to pray it on my phone. Stupid stuff, right? Stupid stuff. Pray God, really, Father, God is telling you to pray night prayer on your phone? That's God? Yeah, that's God, actually, and you're going to see why. Because I had my phone on silent, and I grabbed my phone, and I was praying night prayer in the middle of night prayer. A call came in, which I never would have got had I not been praying night prayer on my phone. I answered it. A woman's dying in the hospital. I go down. I give her the anointing, and I forgive her sins, and she dies on the operating table. Just in time, when I showed up, I remember walking into the ER, and there's tubes, and I mean, it was crazy. And they're like, we're losing her, we're losing her, blood pressure's dropping. And then one of the doctors was Catholic, and he's like, hey, Father Waltz is here. And all of a sudden, he's like, blood pressure stabilized. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> See, that's not me. <laughs> as much as I like to think that's me, that's not me. That's this woman hearing, right? They say the hearing is the last thing. And she heard the priest was there. She's going to hang on now. And once I gave her the anointing, forgave her sins, gave her the apostolic pardon, and told her she could leave, she left. Yeah, God can tell you to look at your phone. He really can. Or a particular girl one time, I remember when I was teaching at the high school, I just sitting, I was eating popcorn or something, and all of a sudden I just had this overwhelming sense, you need to text this person. Why? You know, th th this is the ridiculousness of human beings. <laughs> God says, please, please text this person. Why? <laughs> because I said so, that's why. <clears throat> and so I text this person, hey, you know, just thinking about you, praying about you, wondering if everything's okay. Get back, I'm not okay. I'm like, what's wrong? I'm sick of living. Where are you? On a hilltop. Where? 
south of Mandan. Where? He tells me exactly where she is. I drive out and I see her. She's sitting with a gun in her hand on top of a hilltop. Yeah, God can use texting. God can use just about anything he wants. He created all of it. And at the same time, you have, you work so hard with people. Like, I remember I had kids. I'd work so hard with them, so hard with them. Like, these guys are going to be saints. And then they get a DUI. You're going to give up on them? You do a ton for them, they burn you real bad. You're going to give up on them? Christ hasn't given up on me. You know how many times I've burned him? Thousands. I just want to plant in your hearts tonight that this whole wild adventure of the Christian life, it really has nothing to do with you in one sense, and it has everything to do with you in the other sense. It has nothing to do with you because it's Christ working in you. And it has everything to do with you because you have to choose it. You have to believe it. So what will you choose? The, the world of Jesus? The battle? The fight? Or the world? That screams that mockery that they hurled at our Lord 2,000 years ago. They hurled at us for millennia now. It echoes through the millennia. It is that mockery to Jesus come down from the cross. Come down. Because that's him fighting. And fighting, in his definition, is through suffering and self-gift and doing it for somebody else. And everybody says, come down. We don't want to see that. We don't want to know that that's the way that life is supposed to be lived. We want to live for ourselves. Get down and then we'll believe you. We'll believe anything you say. Just get off the cross. But he doesn't. He just hangs there. Because suffering is the way to glory. And there is no life without death. And for the record, you guys, I want you to, this doesn't mean that life has to be a drudgery, okay? That we just, you know, search out suffering. What I'm talking about is what St. Ignatius of Loyola said in what he calls the principle and foundation of the spiritual life. He said this, the human person is created <clears throat> to praise, reverence, and serve God, our Lord, and by doing so, to save his or her soul. All of the things on the face of the earth are created for human beings in order to help them pursue the end for which they are created. It follows that one must use created things insofar as they help towards one's end and free oneself from them insofar as they, they are an obstacle to one's end. What does that mean? You can use everything in the world. I had a friend of mine, his name was Chris Paget. He's a speaker on the, kind of the Catholic circuit. And he came to St. Mary's and he was giving a talk. And I said, I said, I said he was a convert. And I said, why did you convert to, to Catholicism? He said, so I could drink and smoke. <laughs> Because we, look, we don't see things as bad. The material world isn't bad. 
Maybe it was Hilaire Belloc, the, the famous poet. He said, wherever the Catholic sun doth shine, there is laughter, music, and good red wine. All of this world is good. But when something gets in the way, when the good turns into something that is leading you away from Christ, then Ignatius says, that has to go. That becomes your death. So what is it in your life that's blocking you from your goal? Do you even know? Do you know what it is? And are you willing to drink that cup of suffering? Remember the scripture passage that I opened with. James and John, can you drink the cup? They immediately answer, yeah, yeah, we can drink it. They have no clue what they're saying. That's why Jesus even says, you don't know what you're asking for. You really want to reign with me? You really want to come on this adventure? Then let go. Let go of everything. And let me take over. Remember Peter? Jesus says he has to suffer and die. What has Peter said? God forbid, Lord, that should happen. No suffering in this life. Only glory. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Because you're thinking like human beings do, not like God does. God knows there is no life without sacrifice. And there is no healing without incredible suffering. It takes us decades to get into some of these habits that we get into, and it's going to God can work quicker than that, but it's still going it, to, you have to want it. You have to choose it. That's the burden and the blessing of free will. But as St. Therese so famously said, one of my favorite quotes from her, God's hand is never empty when he extends his hand in asking for something. He always wants to give you something. He doesn't want to just rip everything away. He wants to replace it with something. Take out the bad, put in the good. An old nun I knew one time, she, <clears throat> really holy old lady, she said, everything that I have eventually given to Jesus has claw marks on it. <laughs> Hanging on for dear life as Jesus is prying it from her hands, right? I thought, what a good image. We know what's killing us, and we just don't want to let it go. But he wants to give us so much more. In the letter to the Philippians, I love this. St. Paul says this. I consider everything is lost because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things, and I consider them so much rubbish if only I may gain Christ and be found by him. I hate that word rubbish. When did they go British on us in the Bible? Like, it was, all, it was all American English, and then they decided to change the rubbish. You know what that word actually translates to? The actual Greek translation of what is not rubbish. It means excrement. So let me reread this. I consider everything as lost because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things 
And I considered them and all the things of the world as a huge heaping pile of crap if only I can gain Christ and be found by him. I would have used a different word, but it's a church. But I think that's what he was getting across was that word. The Bible is fun to read sometimes. Everything is great in this life. Everything that is great in this life is a matter of choice. And it's all about choosing what is more difficult. And doing it often for God. St. Ignatius of Loyola again, he said, all, all movement in the spiritual life is directly connected to our ability to give things up in love for Christ. And, and the church has it built right into its seasons. Lent, Advent, every day. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless you pick up your cross daily and follow me. To choose Jesus over yourself, to choose others over yourself. But in order to really do this more than anything, you have to know him. And the more you know him, the more you will become like him. The more you will think like him, act like him. But more than that, you'll never want to leave him. And he will become the rock, the center of everything you do. Jesus, grant us the grace to really believe that you are always at work in our lives. And help us to make you the center of everything that we do. Tonight, we again uh, have adoration until <clears throat> 8.30 if you can stay. It's great. Um, it's a great time to pray during Lent. And uh, we, again, will have confessions. I will be in the back. Uh, in my confessional, Father Nick Schneider, who has graciously uh, agreed to come, will be up in the sacristy um, hearing confessions as well. So uh, I hope you guys, <clears throat> um, like I said, I don't... What, Father Dominic Bauk once said this. And, and I want to, it really struck me as something. He said to, we took all these kids, <clears throat> all these young men, St. John Vianney Seminary, to have them experience the seminary, see if they wanted to go to seminary. And he gave a homily. And he said to him, he said, boys, I make $2,000 a month. $2,000 a month. I want you to know that because if all of you join the seminary, and all of you call Father Waltz and sign up, I still make $2,000 a month. And if all of you decide not to join the seminary, and all of you fall away and become terrible sinners, I still make $2,000 a month. There is no worldly incentive for me to care about you. But there is a divine incentive. And that is, if I love Jesus and I know what he can do to my heart, then there's no price tag. I just want to get it into yours. That's my hope for you.
tonight, all these nights that you guys have come. That this stuff just doesn't go in one ear and out the other. That it really transforms our parish. That we become known in the Bismarck Mandan area as the parish that evangelizes. God's one of those weirdos from St. Joe's. They talk to people about Jesus. <laughs> and don't take the weirdo thing too far because if you go, if you get too weird, then people are shut off too. But, but not to be afraid to incorporate it into your businesses, to pray, to let people know who you are, to what, let people know what you stand for, but ultimately to let people know who you love and how he's changed your life. That's what's going to change this world. And so may we be the beginning of that change.